Are you ready now? Yes. Yes, I'm ready now. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. Those slippers had power. And think to yourself, there's no place like I really believe that whoever stole them was really seeking that power. And they needed it so badly, they would steal something to get it. And I told people that. And they just kind of looked at me like, are you serious? And I said, yes. That was my own personal story. And I'm sticking to it. And remember, never let those ruby slippers off your feet for a moment. All the way through Oz, Dorothy Gale wears the gleaming ruby slippers. But she doesn't know why. Only at the end of the movie does she learn that they have the mysterious power to carry her home. Oh, will you help me? Can you help me? You don't need to be helped any longer. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. Then why didn't you tell her before? You've probably seen The Wizard of Oz. Once, twice, a hundred times. So you know what the ruby slippers look like. Maybe you wore a pair once for Halloween or know someone who did. I was nine when I dressed up as Dorothy. The ruby slippers have become some of the most iconic objects in film history. And in the summer of 2005, a pair was stolen. Dorothy's ruby slippers are in the news. The famous pair Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz were stolen from a museum. The slippers were stolen over the weekend. They stole Dorothy's sparkling ruby slippers. The ruby slippers are the most valuable pair of shoes in the world, period. Experts call the ruby slippers the holy grail of Hollywood memorabilia. I mean, what are you going to say? Name another famous pair of shoes. It was just upheaval to suddenly have the shoes missing. Oh, it was, it was bad. It was bad. It really felt like a part of our culture had just been stolen. Welcome to No Place Like Home, a presentation of C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. This is episode one. The ruby slippers are gone. All they hope for now is for the shoes to find their way back home. When I first learned about the stolen ruby slippers, it had been years since I'd watched The Wizard of Oz but it's one of those movies that never leaves you. I'm Sayward Darby, and I'm the editor of The Atavist magazine. I read about the slippers for the first time in 2018, and I immediately contacted a journalist who I thought might be interested. I knew that she loved quirky crime narratives. That was Ariel Ramshandani. So I was sitting in a coffee shop, like all freelance writers, sort of like looking for something to do. And then this email came to me, and I clicked it open, and there were the ruby slippers, and I was, I was really excited. And I just got started. That was three years ago, and we've been following the story ever since. We were talking slippers all the time. We were meeting for coffee, talking slippers. We were emailing about slippers. What we know now is that it isn't just about a crime. It's a story about obsession. No one really knows how many pairs of ruby slippers were made for The Wizard of Oz. Judy Garland had pairs for skipping and dancing, and there were also pairs for close-ups. There are four known pairs from the film still around today, 
they all have names. There are Dorothy's shoes, the witch's shoes, the people's shoes, and the traveling shoes. They're kind of like siblings. Lots of resemblance, different personalities. Dorothy's shoes are owned by an anonymous person, rumored to be a famous celebrity, like Oprah. The witch's shoes were purchased in 2012 by Steven Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio for in the neighborhood of $2 million. The people's shoes are permanently housed at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. There are so many visitors that they have to repair the carpet frequently. It gets that worn out. And then there are the traveling shoes. That's the pair this podcast is about. For a long time, they were owned by a Hollywood memorabilia collector named Michael Shaw. He bought them from a friend, along with some other movie props, for almost nothing in 1970. Years later, word got out that Shaw owned the slippers, and he was approached by a department store in Houston that had a special interest in the shoes and a unique proposal. The Sackowitz department store people in Texas were going to be doing a 50th anniversary of the store, and they wanted to have a Hollywood theme, and would I be willing to come out there? She says, they pay me? I said, sure. You know, it sounds like fun. And that was the first time that I put the shoes on display. And the morning that it was going to open, they had taken me with the shoes to one of the television stations and they interviewed me and they showed the shoes and by the time we got back there was a line from the entrance all the way around the block people wanted to see the shoes all we had to do was get out of hollywood to find people excited about hollywood that's michael shaw He's a former child actor who fell in love with movies while under contract at MGM. He took the props he collected around the country in trunks and boxes as part of what he called Michael Shaw's Hollywood tour. He'd take them to charity events, stores, and museums, and do talks about movie history. That's why his pair of ruby slippers are called the traveling shoes. And there was one small town that was dying to put them on display. Well, I had been approached to bring them to, you know, Judy Garland's birth home in Grand Rapids. We were gearing up for the 50th anniversary Wizard of Oz Judy Garland Festival in 1989. That's John Kelsch. He helped organize annual Judy Garland festivals in town and would eventually go on to build a museum in her honor. And so that was our our goal was to get the slippers here. There's no place like home, especially if your home is Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Judy Garland would have been 67 years old today, and her hometown turned out to remember. The Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Toto were in Grand Rapids to help celebrate the actress's birthday and to mark the 50th anniversary of her movie, The Wizard of Oz. We had 30,000 for the parade, six high school marching bands, we had the Grand Munchkin Reunion, where we invited 13 Munchkins and their spouses. So we had 22 little people on a float in the parade. And it was just, just wild. It was the mother of all parades this town has ever seen. 
turn for Micah. An original munchkin was Grand Marshal. Of course, all sorts of memorabilia was on hand, including the original pair of ruby slippers worn by Miss Garland in the movie. Michael Shaw, a Hollywood actor and owner of Hollywood on tour, will bring his crown jewel. Like the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. I've been fortunate enough to be their curator, to be their caretaker for the last 20 years. People were lined up across the street to see the slippers. You came from where? From Australia, Brisbane. Why? Well, because I love Judy Garland. If you visit really her, there we are, it. all the way from the cities. I'm so excited, I can't stand it. <laughs> It was just amazing. And I'll never forget this one girl flew with her mother from Alaska. She was blind. She thought if she could touch those slippers, she could regain her sight. Then I get contacted by them a couple of years later that they had built a museum. And I'd work out a deal because I knew I wanted the people to enjoy them. A new Judy Garland Museum was built in 2003. It consists of a few galleries and a wing especially for children. It's all attached to Judy Garland's childhood home, a white house with a porch. The place is small and charming, with lots of kids running around. Where's the button? The museum has artifacts from Judy Garland's life, and from The Wizard of Oz. A dress she wore in a screen test for the movie, and a winky spear carried by a guard at the castle of the Wicked Witch of the West. There's even the big carriage drawn by a horse of a different color that Dorothy rides in in the Emerald City. It originally belonged to Abraham Lincoln. The ruby slippers were something special. They came to Grand Rapids three times over about 15 years. The museum would advertise like crazy. People brought their kids and grandkids dressed as characters from The Wizard of Oz. There were always a lot of Dorothys. Lucy, what's your favorite character in The Wizard of Oz? Dorothy! Yeah, can I see your slippers? (laughs) And in the summer of 2005, the slippers came to Grand Rapids for a fourth time. On August 28th, Kathy Johnson, an assistant at the museum, was the first one at work. Our shift started at 10 in the morning and went till 5. So I'd get there at 9.30. Usually we only had one person on staff at a time. I opened up that morning and I remember there was something wrong with the alarm. It was on an auxiliary or something. It just wasn't the normal pattern. So I armed it and de-armed it a couple different times. And then I went in and as I was going down the hall, I saw glass all over the floor, all the way down the hall. And the window had been pushed in and someone had pulled open the crash door and I knew they had been taken. I looked in the gallery and they were gone. I was panicking. I called my boss. I told him they're gone, they're gone. 
calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd just gotten out of the shower, and all she said was, they're gone. And I knew right away that the slippers were gone. That's John Kelsch again. In 2005, he was the director of the Judy Garland Museum. So I drove in about 80, 90 miles an hour, heart beating, boom, 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 boom. You know how you get so excited? And uh, got here, came in the front door, and Kathy met me here, and she took me down to this, this hallway where we, we saw that all the glass from the breach door had been strewn all down the hall, all the way. So they must have just taken a, a baseball bat or a four by four or something. And so then I called the police to come over. It's the beginning of May, 2021, the first really warm day of the year. John Kelsch is about to show me the scene of the crime. Grand Rapids is remote, over three hours from Minneapolis, but cars are rushing by. It's a town of about 11,000 people, about the size where the mayor is also your social studies teacher. Everyone goes to this popular coffee shop, Brood Awakenings. The Judy Garland Museum is located on the outskirts of town, on a highway, across from a Home Depot. Just inside the front door, there's a yellow brick road. Hi, nice to see you. Come on in. We turned on warm weather in Minnesota. I know. We feel like we really had a nice, a nice day. This is the Judy Garland Gallery, which uh, traces some of her greatest accomplishments. Uh, houses her personal effects and original artifacts from the Wizard of Oz movie. We open with the earliest known picture of Judy Garland in a flower pot hat. John Kelsch is slight with very bright blue eyes. Despite his laid back demeanor, he's prone to bouts of excitement, especially about Judy Garland, Grand Rapids, and the weather. He texts me a lot about these topics. Here's one of my favorites. Ice on Wedigo Arm of Pokegama Lake went out completely this a.m. Driving rain will eliminate the rest. Driving rain will eliminate all the rest by dusk tonight. God, how I love this place. Like Lincoln said, every American should appreciate and relish a sense of place.
Back inside the museum, he takes us to the main gallery. It's a medium-sized room with a linoleum floor and exhibition cases. Kelsch points to a white stand in the middle of the space. This pedestal housed the slippers when they were stolen here. It stood about right here. The robbers smashed the top of that plexiglass, which was just glued together and screwed on the base. And they hurried up out of here, the police estimated, in less than a minute. They were in here less than a minute. After about 20 minutes, I found a sequin on the one sequin right here, about halfway back toward the, the door. Just one little shining sequin. And the police were standing here. They would have missed it. I said, look. And so they took that, and it's still in the police evidence. Well, at the time, I didn't even know the slippers were in town. I mean, I grew up in Grand Rapids, and I always had Judy Garland days and all that stuff, and it didn't mean a lot to me. This is Bob Stein. He's currently an investigative sergeant at the Grand Rapids Police Department, and he spent a lot of years working the slippers case. We met him in Grand Rapids at the Country Inn and Suites, a hotel right next to the museum. Stein was wearing a plaid shirt and had a buzz cut. At the time of the theft, Stein was working as a police officer in the nearby town of Bovey. When the slippers were stolen, I came to work and there was all kinds of chatter on the radio and stuff. And there was only three channels. Grand Rapids had their own, one north, one south for everybody else. So when something big happens, you can hear all the radio communications. Yeah, it was a big deal. Do you remember what people said? Well, they were making fun of the officers, you know, and making fun of them about slippers being stolen on their watch and everything. If you would have had a brain, Scarecrow, you would have figured out who stole the slippers, stuff like that. Most officers didn't even know the slippers were in Grand Rapids. And now, they were stolen. The cops did what they could at first. Traffic stops, interviews, checking hotel logs. But nothing came up. They put out an alert. Be on the lookout for a pair of red shoes. The fact is, they had a difficult job. Each door has an alarm. And then the hallway had cameras all out there. Um, wait, no, no, they didn't. We didn't really have cameras out here. We just had the door contacts here and, and a motion detector there. Small museums are notorious for poor security. They have tiny budgets. They can't spring for guards or state-of-the-art technology. The Judy Garland Museum is no exception. And in 2005, the staff weren't doing themselves any favors. Here we always had cameras shining right on the slippers, which fed to a little monitor at the front desk outside here by the front door. The only problem was the camera didn't record. It was just a live feed that someone could watch when the museum was open. There was no security footage to review. To make the circumstances more crazy, this door was being left open that summer at night. The building was relatively new and the gallery was getting so hot that we said, well, let's just leave it open. You know, it was getting too warm in there. 
Kelsha's motioning to the back door of the main gallery, which was left open the night of the crime and the day we visited. Just a few steps away is the emergency exit door. That's where the thief entered. It opens into a hallway, leading directly to the kids' area of the museum. We have 13 of these emergency exit doors all over. We have a lot of school kids come to the Children's Museum and they kept going out during the day and the alarm would go off and the police would come and we got charged money because it happened too many times. So finally I called the insurance company and said, can you de-arm those for us? I assumed like they only deactivated during the day. So every evening I thought the doors were reactivated but I assumed wrong. We have no security staff, you know, we just weren't thinking. A lot of people said, well, that sounds like an inside job, you know, leaving the door open, dearming the doors. Well, potentially, you think about it, and if, if I have my kids at home and money goes missing, was there a burglar that came in my house and stole $20 out of the cash drawer or was it one of my kids here's bob stein again the police officer if it was a burglar they would have taken a heck of a lot more than 20 dollars out of the cash drawer let's say you know they'd take everything they possibly could When I first heard it, I didn't believe it. I just said, no, you're just making that up. This is Lila Crow. You heard her voice at the beginning of the episode, talking about how the slippers had power. She's the director of the Historical Society for Itasca County, where Grand Rapids is located. She's known John Kelsch for years. He was devastated. I said, John, you look terrible. And he just looked at me and goes, I feel terrible. And... I said, anything I can do, John, I will help you. Whatever you need, you let me know. I'll help you with whatever. And he said, the best thing I think we could do is we need a positive light to this because we knew that we were going to be hit with the media. At the time, she was directing a local production of The Wizard of Oz with a young girl from town playing Dorothy. And he goes, Lila, could you ask the girl that sang Over the Rainbow if she would come and sing? So I called her up. Abby Nealon was her name, and so she volunteered to come, and she did. And we dressed her up in her outfit, and she sang it perfect. The media just went to her like, just like a magnet. The day after the theft, Kelsch sat by the phone. He called all of the museum's board members. He was trying to reach them before they heard about the theft from someone else. He saved the worst call for last. He had to tell the owner of the shoes what happened. Michael Shaw was the last call that day. And he said, we're, I'm, we're coming. I'm, my sister's going to come with me. He was scheduled to come in a few days to pick them up anyway. For a while I thought, yeah, maybe they'll just show up in a box somewhere, the front door, or, I don't know, in the mail, or, but then that soon faded. What was it like when Michael showed up? 
he wasn't really mad at, at me. He wanted to get the publicity going about it. I thought he'd be a lot more angry with me. I felt like I had been kicked in the stomach. This was a, what, a week before I was to pick them up before Labor Day. I get a call from the director telling me that the shoes were stolen. When I went to Grand Rapids with my sister, I have never seen anything so unprofessional. And they had me talking to this uh, police lieutenant, and he says, well, I, I, I'm not sure, Mr. Shaw, but I think the shoes might have been destroyed. I said, why didn't you send to Minneapolis for an experienced detective? It was like being in Hooterville, and I'm talking to Barney Fife. But people in Grand Rapids pointed out that when it came to protecting the slippers, Shaw had made some strange choices himself. We had made an arrangement for the slippers to be here all summer. Then we had a U.S. bank bring a safe, and we wanted to put them on it like a tray in the exhibit case and then take the tray out at night and put it in the safe. But Michael Shaw didn't want us to be handling them. So the safe just sat there unused. People said to me, well, why didn't you let him each night put them into a vault? I said, well, there were two reasons. First of all, the shoes were so delicate. As proof, when the police came, they found a sequin on the floor. I said, secondly, I thought it was totally secure. They told me they had motion sensors and all the rest, and they didn't. They had this one small little closed-circuit camera connected to a, a TV, which they turned off at night. They had no connection with the police, like I was told. They had lied to me. And then to make matters worse, that creep of a director tried to implicate me in the robbery. I really thought it was a collector who would just do anything to, to have them. But then a, a lot of my staff and even the munchkins said, no, it's Michael Shaw, he did it. They were convinced that Michael Shaw did it. And then that got me thinking about that. In the blink of an eye, the ruby slippers had vanished. All their magic and the millions they were worth, it was just gone. At the next stop on Michael Shaw's Hollywood tour, which happened to be in Kansas, Oz lovers were devastated. But here's what we know now. The traveling shoes kept traveling, and they had company. Who took them, and where did they go? In The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is whisked away to a fantastical land by a tornado. Judy Garland left Grand Rapids as a little girl and was soon swept up in the allure of Hollywood. Now, the ruby slippers were on a mysterious journey of their own. How do I start for a new city? It's always been the start at the beginning, and all you do is follow the yellow brick road. Coming up this season, 
on No Place Like Home. Once you say birthplace of Judy Garland, you're taking on her whole life. Why should we honor Judy Garland? She never came back. The one thing I've learned about this Ruby Slipper story is that it's full of half-truths. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who did this and how do they do it? I didn't trust him. I'm sorry, but I didn't. You can't just sell a pair of Ruby Slippers. It's like selling the Mona Lisa. Maybe they didn't realize what they were getting into. The FBI, I mean, they had no idea what was going on. They're not revealing who stole them. You cannot rule anything out when it comes to art theft. There is mystery, there is magic, there is desire. This is how important those shoes are. We gotta find them before it's too late. I'm getting upset about it, you know, reliving this thing. Enough is enough. No Place Like Home is a presentation, direction, and production of C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio, in partnership with The Atavist Magazine. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran. Written by Ariel Ramshandani. Narrated by Ariel Ramshandani and me, Sayward Darby. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Edited by Alistair Sherman. Produced by Paige Heimson and Valerie Thomas. Engineering, research, and production support by Adam Pershibil, Bill Schultz, Ian Mont, Bob Tabador, Patrick Antonetti, and Sean Cherry. Mixed and mastered by Chris Basil. Marketing and publicity by Brian Swarth, Hilary Schiff, Melissa Wester, and Meredith Tiger. Series artwork by Kurt Courtenay. Season one of No Place Like Home is based on reporting by Ariel Ramshandani for The Atavist Magazine. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.